Welcome to the Mile 99 interview series with your hosts, Greg Larkin, Mike Turner, and Jessica Harris. Enjoy this episode, and we'll hope to see you on the trails soon. Hey, everybody. This is Greg Larkin, one of the co-hosts of the Mile 99 interview podcast. Just want to take a minute here to give a shout out to Krista Cavender. We just worked with her. Uh, She's a graphic design artist, and she redid our logo for us. We're really excited about it. We've put it out on all of our social media here as of uh, late January, and uh, we highly recommend her services. If you're looking for graphic design work, logo design for your business, something like that, uh, please give her a shout. Her Instagram is Krista with a K, Cavender, and you can also find her online at kcavenderdesign.com. Highly recommended. She does great work, really clean, beautiful graphics. I think you'll be really pleased. Uh, I know we were. So as always, take care and we'll see you on the trails. Welcome, everybody, to the Mile 99 interview. Uh, This is our 27th episode, and my name is uh, Greg Larkin. I'm one of your co-hosts, and uh, this is a show that we've been holding since, uh, I guess, last May 2020, Um, sometimes every week, sometimes every other week, and uh, what we like to do is gather together and get all the different athletes from our ultra running community and our trail running community together. Uh, in this live setting and uh, talk to our guests and to sort of find out uh, all about them, uh, get some stories, some inspirational uh, advice and, and other types of information from them. And uh, this week we have a slightly different type of uh, uh, meetup here and we'll get into that. But uh, yeah, the basic idea is to uh, get us all together and just uh, share a little time together as a community. So I'm joined as usual by my co-host, Jessica Harris and Mike Turner. How are you doing, Jessica? I'm doing good. Just had my first kid chip a tooth. What do you do? Mom experience. It's all fixed. We're all good. So getting through that. (laughs) Definitely a stressful time. (laughs) Man, it was just a tooth, but it was a big girl tooth. So we had to keep it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to lose those that early. (laughs) And Mike, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. So as Greg was saying, when we started this back uh, early in the last year when COVID first began and the country was in lockdown, just to try to find a way to have something that felt normal. Everything was abnormal around us and running and work and our families' lives and school. Uh, races were canceled. Everything was risky. So we started interviewing our some of our people in the community that, that we admired, people that we knew, some talk about what they're up to and learn their stories, you know, and get, kind of get inspired. Uh, like Greg said, Jessica's here. She should be tracking the questions. We are taking questions on on uh, Zoom here as well, and we're streaming live on Facebook at our page. So you can leave questions at both places. It's better to leave questions here on Zoom because she can grab them here quickly and and get them up there. Uh, we want to give a quick shout out to some to our friends uh, at the Monsters of Massage. They're down in Newcastle, California. They're friends of ours. They're great uh, sports massage professionals, and they can get anything out, the demons, knots, and uh, they're open. They have hours. Uh, Please help them out. Please help our small businesses out. And Greg? All right. Thanks a lot, Mike and Jessica. Uh, So as I mentioned, um, you know, we get together on a regular basis. We talk to usually one guest, maybe two guests, but uh, we're really pleased tonight to welcome four guests uh, instead of our normal uh, setup. Uh, so tonight we have with us uh, Craig Thornley. Uh, he's the race director of the Western States Endurance Run and a nine-time finisher of the race. Um, he was uh, also our first guest on this interview way back uh, last year in May, uh, and we're really glad that he joined us uh, then to kick it off. Uh, he's back with us now. He was with us also um, back in December, along with um, some of our other guests, including uh, Tim Tweetmeyer. He is the current VP of the Western States Board of Directors and also a board member since 1996. Uh, He's a five-time winner of the race itself, along with 25 finishes in under 24 hours. Um, And joining him, we have Diana Fitzpatrick. She's the president of the Western States Board of Directors. Uh, Really glad that she can make the time to show up tonight. Um, She's the ninth president of the board in the history of the race. And... 
I was reading your bio today and I didn't realize, but in 2018, you made race history when you were 60 years old and you became the oldest female in Western States history to break 24 hours uh, in a time of 2352 and get that silver buckle. So that was a really impressive achievement. Uh, glad to have read that today about you. Um, and finally, we've got uh, again joining us. Uh, he came um, with uh, Craig and Tim back in December, uh, Dr. Andy Pasternak and he is the medical director of the Western States race. He's also a family medical medicine practitioner based in Reno and the founder of the Silver Sage Center for Family Medicine. Um, and among others, he has a degree from the University of Wisconsin in epidemiology and preventive medicine. So we're really glad that he can join us. Uh, we're obviously gonna talk about uh, the pandemic uh, like we did back in December, Things have changed a lot since then. Um, we're looking forward to getting some updates uh, from him about just the situation in general, how it relates to the race, and from everybody here. Um, you know, I, I'm sure we've got tons of people on the line uh, in the Zoom session on Facebook that are really interested to hear how things have been going with the Western States race. Um, so yeah, we first talked to everyone back in December, right around lottery weekend. And uh, yeah, here we are again, and it's two months later. So welcome to the show, Craig, Diana, Tim, and Dr. Pasternak. We're really happy to have you. So I guess let's just kick it right off. Uh, I guess with you, Craig, um, if it's possible, can you give us kind of like the, the high-level overview of what the current status of the Western States race in 2021 is? I know it's probably changed since December, and we're just uh, interested to hear what uh, your current take is on that to get things started. Well, I've been comparing it to being in the middle of a 100-miler. Say you're, you're climbing Devil's Thumb, and as Topher Gaylord, our other vice president, says, you have, you have nickels in your mouth, and it's just the most horrible feeling, the most horrible time. If you project, that's the way the rest of the race is going to go. You're going to drop out right then and there. That kind of feels like where we are, at least maybe 10 or two weeks ago, 10 days or two weeks ago, we may be, we may be turning the corner a little bit. Um, it's, it's challenging for us to stay optimistic and keep working hard, uh, you know, hoping that the race is going to, going to happen. All the while knowing that it, it, it may not happen. It's a, it's a pretty challenging position for us to be in. But the last two weeks have been very encouraging. And, you know, and with the help of Andy uh, and other races that have, that have already happened, like Bandera just happened in Texas a couple of weeks ago, one of our golden ticket races. Mm. Uh, we're confident we'll be able to put the race on in a safe manner. It may look different. We may not have the same number of volunteers, may not have the same crew access, pre-race briefing may be um, different, ward ceremony, um, shuttles. You know, th there are a lot of places where we may have to modify. We're hoping that the situation will be uh, significantly improved and we won't have to implement the most conservative measures that we have right now, the most drastic measure. Um, but yeah, we're feeling, you know, I, personally, I, ha I have up and down days. Some days I'm really depressed. And other days, I'm usually when I talk to Andy, I, I get lifted up. And I think, <laughs> wow, there is there is an end of the world here. It, we may we may come out of this thing alive. And, um, and with uh, Tracy Hogue, who also works with Andy, not, not in his practice, but on, on research, she's been uh, trying to get schools opened up based on science. Uh, she also thinks that running events are an important, important thing. And it's not healthy for us to sit in our houses and wait for the pandemic to end. We should be out doing things outside and, and running races give us something to look forward to, get us out training. And, um, and they're a good thing. So. For sure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that summary. That that's helpful. Um, I know that I, I sort of am hearing an echo of back in December because I remember you saying like you had similar up and down times then and things were, you know, even we had less information then, but I know you talked, you said back then, even I, I would talk to Andy and he would kind of <laughs> get me on track. So it's, it's good to hear that he's, uh, he's still, he's still uh, doing that for you. So Andy, like, yeah, from your standpoint, I guess, from the, the science and the pandemic or related issues, um, what, what would your capsule summary be? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to stay optimistic. I mean, I, I um, uh, you know, uh, when we talk, um, when I talk with Craig, um, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm optimistic because I'm there's days that I'm probably like Craig. I'm like, how are we going to pull this thing off? But you know, it really uh, looking at the rates of what's happening with COVID. Obviously, most states are seeing a big downtick right now after we had that big uptick and. Um, you know, we never know what viruses are going to do. There's some of these new mutations that are kind of, um, have me a little, have me nervous. You know, I'm, I'm, I have to admit, you know, some of the, some of that data, you hear different things, people projecting things, but, you know, I, and, and obviously the big thing I think is going to be getting the vaccine rollout and how that works. And, um, and I think that's really going to help out. So, you know, some of the vaccine rollout stuff's been a little, uh, there's been a lot of bumps in the road the first couple couple weeks with it, but I think that's starting to get straightened out. And, and, I, and I really hope that that starts to make a big impact on getting our COVID numbers down and getting us back to some sense of normalcy here. Yeah, I've been sort of wondering if there would be at some point, you know, as yet undetermined, but just this kind of like almost exponential change in rollout availability and all of that, like, or do you, do you see it more as just kind of like a slow and steady, I don't know, availability over time? Like, could there be this thing where all of a sudden it's just sort of like a burst and, and a lot of stuff becomes available and cases change very dramatically? Yeah, I, I think you're going to see a burst. I mean, the, the, the issue that we've had is, you know, from late December when the Pfizer vaccine got approved, uh, you know, we had Moderna get approved. And so we've really just been focused on those two vaccines. And by all accounts, the Johnson and Johnson vaccine will probably go in front of the FDA here, um, hopefully in the next week or two. They're, they're still having some manufacturing delays. So we may not, we'll, we'll probably start to get some of that. We may not have a lot of that until April. And then there's two other vaccines that are around the corner. So, you know, if we can go from two vaccines to five vaccines, I, I think that that's when things are really going to you're going to be able to get more vaccine in more different places. And we're going to be able to get more people vaccinated. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, that's, that's good to hear. Um, I just wanted to switch over to Diana and Tim a little bit about just from the board side of the, uh, the race. Um, Craig mentioned kind of like, it sounded like different contingency plans that you may have already started working on. If, if that's the case, can you kind of talk about like what your process has been over the past couple of months and are you kind of looking at like, okay, we have to forecast for like worst case, you know, middle of the road and then best case scenarios. Do you have to have this kind of like sliding scale of different scenarios and responses and things of that nature to hold the race? Tim, do you want to go or you want me to? Yeah, I'll go. I'll go ahead just for a second okay. here, just because yeah. we had uh, the board meeting last Sunday and it was interesting because, uh, you know, we have some really good people working on the race that are really tied into the ultra running community, you know, like our aid station captains and our aid station managers and uh, course managers. And they've been following this all along as well. Not only what's going on, you know, as far as the pandemic goes, but what all the protocols are that are being used in some of these events, like Craig just mentioned, you know, the race that took off, went off a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, we, we're pretty close with Bob Crowley, who's the you know head of ITRA. So, you know, they have their protocols that they're looking at and, you know, our guys are dialed in to provide whatever needs to be provided if we want to put the event on. You know, the, uh, probably the aid stations will look quite different because, you know, it won't be like just mass grazing across the uh, aid station tables like it normally is. But it might be something where everything's individually wrapped and, uh, you know, we never touch anybody's uh, hydration pack or water bottles. Everything is kind of just poured in and uh, there's no... <clears throat> you know, uh, kind of touching like we normally see at the aid stations, but the, the guys are pre preparing um, and looking at every possible combination. And we have a lot of people that have access to a lot of different things that'll provide what we need to put the race on when we need to. Yeah, I would just add, I think from the board's perspective, you know, it's 369 runners spread out over a hundred miles. It's outdoors. So, you know, we are hopeful that given what the event is that we should be able to do it. Um, and we feel confident with Craig and his team and the aid station captains that they are, they have all the contingency plans in case for all the different scenarios. Um, the really challenging thing is that a lot of it is out of our hands ultimately, because there will be uh, decisions made by the state and the county and permitting agencies, and that's not in our control ultimately. But um, we do feel that 
um, with Craig and our team, we'll be ready if we're allowed to put on a safe event. Yeah, but I was kind of wondering about the um, the permitting agencies and like how how closely you communicate, how often, um, and did they ever kind of like signal, you know, their sort of thinking, or did they kind of just like, you know, keep it kind of close, close, and then they might just make a, a snap decision later on, or are they get, kind of giving you a little bit of guidance as you go? Well, half of our course is in Forest Service land, federal controlled, and the other half is in state. And I've been having quite a few meetings with the, with the feds. And one of the meetings a couple of weeks ago, the district ranger asked me, so what do you think the chances of you putting on the race are? Like you have control of whether <laughs> I put the race on or not. So the, the feds are, uh, are not going to be what stops us from putting the race on the state. On the other hand, state parks uh, right now, they're allowing 10 person events. So if you made if you made the projection, just like I was saying at the beginning, if if you're on devil's thumb, right? If you made the, the decision right now based on the current conditions, there's no way we'd be able to put on the race. The the state um, will likely open up since the numbers are, are are improving, and you know we had the the regional stay at home order lifted. Um, I don't specifically talk to the state that often, but there are several of the race directors um, and I'll get forwarded emails from their correspondence with, with the state. Um, hey, Craig, if you guys, uh, I know I, w- I did a race in October where there was a, a staggered start um, over three or four days. Are you guys looking into options for oh, start times? Yeah, a staggered start would be so hard in Western states. Um, it, it, it's, it's a possibility. Um, CCC, which is a hundred K race in the UTMB suites in, in France, uh, they have three waves and I ran it a couple years ago and I, and I was confused on what the cutoffs were. Um, they had it listed, um, as absolute cutoff for the third group. The first group was the fastest based on your ETRA ranking. The second group was second fastest and the third group was the slowest. And the cutoffs were based on the third group. So if you started in group one or two, you actually got more time for the cutoff, which I just thought that that doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and can you imagine Gunhild Swanson's finish from a couple of years ago without a clock or without knowing what the heck time she started? I mean, ah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, um, it, we definitely have um, been bouncing that around and I, I don't want to have to do that. 369 runners is not a whole lot of runners. Uh, CCC, that race that I just talked about had 1900 runners. Um, uh, yeah, the, that, 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 what I'm hoping we'll be able to do is we'll have a, a, a corral at the start and we won't let family members in there and everybody that is allowed to, to start has already, you know, passed whatever our criteria is to determine that they're not COVID positive so that all the runners feel safe inside that starting area. Um, and, and that's how we'll control it. So there won't be, there won't be runners or crew members inside that starting corral. Uh, that's my thought right now, but, but yeah, we're definitely, um, yeah, we've been bouncing that around. So timing wise, I think we can do it. Uh, we talked to our timer or I talked to our timer uh, this week. Um, but again, we'd have one clock at the finish and you wouldn't know what time it really was for the runner. And that's, going to be not very interesting uh, at the 24 hour mark. And especially at the 30, what would that do to the golden hour? I don't know. <laughs> oh, bummer. Be the golden half day or something like that. Right? You wouldn't know, right? You wouldn't yeah. know if yeah. someone missed the cutoff or they had 15 extra minutes or. Right. Right. Yeah, um, definitely um, would affect the drama of the, of the race. For it sure. would definitely change the feel of the race. And, and we want to make sure that we put on a race that's that, that, meets the expectations of runners, especially the people who who've waited so many years to get in this race, right? We want to, we want to make sure it's a race that, that meets their expectation or hopefully exceeds their expectations. Um, yeah, no, I mean, and, and I think, um, you know, just talking to you a couple months ago, I mean, obviously I think the runners kind of really get a sense of how much 
the organization cares about them. Um, so it, it sounds like you're, you know, you're really keeping them forefront um, throughout this process, which I'm sure they appreciate. Um, have you had any, any of you, like, have you had to, um, or have you continued to kind of like send updates to the runners at all? Or what, what's the communication been, or has it been, I know we chatted Craig a little bit, like what's the inbound been like for you or any it, of you? Um, it hasn't been very, um, um, busy, which is good on the first email that I sent out. Um, I said, we don't know what the heck we're going to be doing. Uh, be patient. We're getting a few uh, from the overseas runners. And the, the plan is that I would get one out this week, the, the second update, but it hasn't, it hasn't happened. And it may include a, a survey that, that Andy has, has helped write that uh, mostly we're trying to figure out what the situation is for the overseas runners that I can see that being, being a problem. Um, so, some of them are still unable to travel. Mm. Uh, we just had a, a UTWT runner registered an elite runner from New Zealand who had that country had four, four new cases the other day <laughs> Four. Yeah. Uh, and when I talked to, I talked to another race director uh, on a UTWT call for, so I, I was talking to race directors from all over the world. And I said, how, why would she sign up for the race right now? And he said, they're allowing runner, they're allowing citizens to come back into the country. I couldn't, none of us could go into New Zealand right now, mm. but if a New Zealand citizen leaves the country, they can go back. They'll just have to quarantine for 14 days. So maybe for, for runners, if, uh, if you have to sit in your house 14 days after you run Western States, maybe that's worth it. It's not, not that big a deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll probably do a little more regular updates, especially now that the that the numbers are improving and I have something optimistic to send to the runners instead of, oh, my God, we're still going up and people are dying all over the place and the vaccines aren't happening. Now, at least, you know, I can send a graph out of the, of the California numbers going down, mm. um, which is really, really, really encouraging. Yeah, that's true. Watching, watching the daily cases, uh, new cases drop is is really encouraging. Yeah. And I tweeted something about, I tweeted that graph a week ago and uh, somebody replied to it and said, this is better than, uh, than the snow when we plot the snow uh, <laughs> leading up to the race, right? It's now going to be COVID numbers. Yeah. <laughs> Never thought you'd be in that situation probably. <laughs> we, we drill for a lot of uh, different scenarios, um, but I never drilled. I, ne I never expected the pandemic. No, I never planned that. No, no, I don't think any of us did. Yeah, it's it's just unprecedented. Um, Diana, I, I, you know, since you you joined us uh, this time around, um, and we appreciate your time coming on um, as the president. Like, how have things been for you as kind of the you know the top of of the of the chain of command, let's say, uh, of the board and and how have your responsibilities changed or anything else that, you know, that how, how it's affected you over the past year? Uh, well, I took over as president in uh, November of 2019. So things were, you know, on track to have our race um, for the first four months. Um, and uh, we were really focused on that. Um, and then went right into the, mode of being hit with a pandemic and trying to deal with, you know, we, we actually, and partly in answer to your prior question, you know, we started meeting weekly as a board. We had phone calls um, leading up to the cancellation, we, probably that month or so leading up um, with the goal of, you know, uh, making sure that we were all informed and on the same page about how to handle what the 2020 race. Um, and we were also doing weekly updates for the runners. Um, so that hasn't felt necessary right now because there's so much unknown and the race is far enough away and we're hoping we're on track to have it. But as we get closer to the race, we'll certainly, you know, be looking at updates and providing as much information and being as transparent as we can with the runners. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as far as my responsibilities, um, I haven't yet been president and had a race. So I'm really hoping that we are able to do that this year. Um, and, um, you know, this 
board is, um, there are so many people with so many different areas of expertise on the board. So taking over the presidency isn't as dramatic as it might sound. It's more, um, you know, managing and overseeing a lot of different things that continue to go on and function, um, you know, in committees and different people in their different areas of expertise. Um, so it's been great, but it's a lot because it is such a good team of people uh, who have worked together for a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Like just looking at the the list of the board of directors and and just the history and the number of years that people are involved with the board and just having that kind of like DNA. I think it it, it must yeah. be like a really good experience. Yeah, it's a really unique board that way. And um, there's just a lot of history, knowledge, expertise. And, um, you know, it seems like how complicated could it be for a, you know, to be on a board of a race that is a once a year event. But um, it's amazing how much uh, work goes into it year round. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, sort of related to that, maybe tangentially, um, Tim, uh, have you and the board been talking to the sponsors throughout this period and like, what have they been saying and, you know, what kind of support have they offered and, you know, sort of where are their heads at? Yeah, I think Craig's been uh, continually talking to them, but yeah, I think primarily everybody's been on board. We were lucky enough to have a couple of our big sponsors last year, even send out a a care package to everybody that was in the race that uh, didn't get to run. So it was kind of nice to be able to keep the vibe going for those people that got, you know, excited about training for Western States. And then obviously we had to cancel. So that was kind of nice, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's tough for them. They're trying to make money and uh, some of the businesses are doing really well and maybe some not, not as well. And so, but they still, you know, Western States is a real draw. It's a great event for them to, be a part of. I think the people that have been involved in it a year or two or three and actually go there and watch walk away, believing that's uh, money well spent. And it can, um, you know, you get some of those finishes like we've had that end up getting published out and it, it does a lot for their brand and the kind of event that we put on. So yeah, we feel pretty comfortable with where we are and where we're going for sure. Excellent. Yeah. Did, and did you have anything to add to that, Craig? Well, yeah, I had two sponsor calls today. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it really depends on the the industry whether whether they whether the sponsor had a, a bad year or a good year. You know, Hoka is selling shoes like crazy, so they haven't been impacted. Um, Buff has been pretty successful too. You know, runners putting buffs <laughs> on their, their faces when they run. Mm -hmm. um, some of our race promotion companies obviously got hit really hard by not being able to put on any races. Um, but our, our sponsors have been really understanding and, and, you know, there's, they're living through weird times too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, hopefully it does sort of foster this, this idea of like, all right, let's work together and get through this thing, um, and come up with some really kind of unique ways of doing that. Um, so if that's the case, then, you know, that, that will hopefully work out for the best on all parts at some point. Yeah. And one of the, um, one of the areas that we were already planning on, on improving on, uh, but now it's going to be even more important is our race day broadcast. So with Hoka coming on as our presenting sponsor, if you've watched the last two Carbon X and, and mm. Carbon X2, uh, they've done an amazing job on uh, their live coverage of those two events. So we are working to, to improve our race day broadcast. We'll actually have some race day broadcasts this year, which I think will be even more important since, um, you know, people may stay at home or they may not be able to come out to the race for, because we won't let them. Right. So this, this opens up an, uh, an opportunity for sponsors to get exposure, probably even greater than what they would have if, if we just have their, their logos at the finish line or on the, you know, at the start. Right. Yeah. I mean, those record attempts have been fascinating personally, <laughs> like just sitting there glued to the glued to the screen for six hours, you know, I was going to add one thing about the sponsors is that um, this was so unexpected and um, you know, a pandemic again, who would have thought of that. So I, I think, you know, one nice thing about it was it wasn't like, 
we were looking closely at contract language and trying to, you know, hold them to something or us to something. I would say for the most part, it was, everybody was very understanding and people, we just met where it worked comfortably for the sponsors. Um, and there were some real surprises of sponsors being super generous, um, you know, including Hoka stepping up and sending out that package that we mentioned, and then other sponsors wanting to add on to that. Um, and then other sponsors just, you know, con con contributing money um, because that was what they committed to do. So they would do whatever percentage they felt comfortable with. Um, so it, it worked out. It worked out well. Well, that's great to hear. Yeah. I mean, you definitely, it's nice to have people in your corner when you need them. Um, and even if they're big businesses, it still comes down to people. And I'm sure the the personal connections you all make, um, you know, must help a lot throughout uh, this kind of thing. Uh, just I uh, wanted to follow up. On, we did have this question as one of the things we wanted to ask. Um, and I, I just saw in the Zoom chat. So any, for anybody that's on Facebook Live, um, it sounds like the trail work uh, requirement has dropped for this year, which obviously seems to make sense just due to the difficulty of organizing groups and, and that sort of thing. Um, was that basically just you had to work with the state on that, Craig, and they just said that wasn't going to be possible this year? No, it's, it's more that there's just not opportunities for the runners to to do it. It had nothing to do with the state or our own groups. We've, we'd already switched over to the stewardship model and as opposed to the big work parties, which tended to be not very efficient. Uh, There's a lot of standing around. It became more of a management, man, managing people problem. So our stewardship model, we, we broke the trail up into, into different sections. And we have stewards, uh, one steward for each section, and they do the work to maintain the trail with smaller groups. Um, we'll still have some of the big parties this year, we think. Um, but for this year, we just we dropped the requirement. I know, Craig, you know, obviously winter is still here. Trees still fall over. Uh, there's going to be a lot of cleanup. There is always a lot of cleanup. And with, you know, so how can we get involved or people that are here listening? And we'll add our little links to the to the notes if they want to get involved in a stewardship because you'll need labor either way, whether it's for credit or just for just for trail maintenance, just for fun. Yeah, you can look at our stewardship model page and the, the stewards, the individual stewards are listed. If you know those stewards, you can contact them. We will be having some bigger parties like we normally have the Robinson Flat Trail Work Weekend two weeks before the race or sometimes one. Uh, we'll have that opportunity for folks and that'll be available on the on the website too. Um, but yeah it's it's a it's a different it's a different type of model. Um, those big work parties just yeah, they're hard. And and with in the COVID in the COVID restrictions, um, that's where the feds are actually harder than the state because uh, they did have restrictions on us last year. Everybody who did trail work had to drive in separate cars to the trailhead. We had to clean tools, and that was when we still thought that the virus was passed on by uh, what's it called? Touch, Andy, foment, foment. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so they, they had requirements and it, they're probably still going to be in place here for the next few months. How is the trail looking this condition? I know there's, I mean, the upper section is obviously getting snow. Uh, there's some other issues down in the lower sections. You want to chat about just the overall condition and where things are? Yeah. Well, there's snow now pretty low. Uh, Michigan Bluff still had snow this, this last weekend. The forest service actually cleared the blowdown from um, I think from Forest Hill all the way over to Deadwood, at least from Michigan Bluff over to Deadwood. So it should be clear of blowdown. Uh, the biggest the biggest concern right now is the two mile section at the top of Cal Street, which is closed um, temporarily. Not not our choice. Uh, it's a private private land issue that we're that we're trying to resolve for the for the good of the whole community, not just for our race or for Tevis. We're trying to trying to work through this issue. Um, and hopefully in a couple of years, I mean, in a couple of weeks, we'll, uh, we'll have this result. 
Cool. Yeah, we'll definitely well, try to keep uh, up to date with that. And I know you've been um, posting a little bit on social media about that to keep everybody informed and just make sure that they are respectful. Um, and we all want to participate with that to hopefully get things back on track. So yeah, thanks for letting us okay. know on that. Um, Andy, I just wanted to, you know, kind of talk a little bit about, um, you know, whether or not you see any, um, I don't know, like, Issues as we might get into the race, um, are you going to be working on like uh, medical policies where people may have to present like a proof of vaccine or um, multiple negative tests? I know that Lake Sonoma just implemented like a, I think, double testing requirement prior to the race. Is that anything that uh, you've been entertaining? Yeah, we're, we're, we're looking into some of that stuff. I've talked with Skip a little bit about his plans for Sonoma. You know, some of the double testing stuff, um, that's we're, we're going to put together a little task force of uh, a couple of other docs and people I know that um, to get some sense of how that how that how that would work for a race like Western States. Um, some of that, I think, is also going to be a little dependent on where our rates are at, um, you know, in, in the community at that time. Um, you know, I, I think obviously one of the biggest worries we have with some of those tests is. You know, at, a, at, a, at smaller races, if you have a false positive test, um, it, I mean, it's, it's going to be a big deal. But a false positive test of Western states is something that, that would be really devastating for a runner. So if we if we did do any sort of testing, we would definitely want to make sure that would be accurate and uh, and things like that. And then we've talked a little bit about um you know, uh, vaccine and, and where we want to go with the vaccine. And I, I think the hard part in June, I, I think we're going to have more vaccine. I think we'll have a bigger chunk of people um, being able to get vaccinated. Uh, but I, I don't want to mandate anything yet or, you know, require anything. Uh, a, we, we, I would want to run that by the board and, and, and get some input and also get some input from some of the runners. And then we also need to make sure people have access to, to the vaccine and, and especially for our international runners. Um, you know, I, I know everybody's, uh, you know, everybody's upset with the rollout in the United States and why don't we have more vaccine? But um, actually, if you look at the United States compared to most other countries, um, I mean, we're not doing as well as Israel, but um, we're, we're, you know, we're doing well, than, doing better than most of Europe, doing better than Canada in terms of getting vaccine out. So, hmm. you know, I, I think that's another thing that we'll have to really need to consider. And that's where Craig and I are going to be talking to our international runners about some of those concerns soon. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you like what, yeah, what other countries or areas that you're familiar with, like, are doing things well. Um, obviously, we, we just heard that New Zealand, of course, we've we've been reading about that for a while now. They've had an amazing uh, response there. And what, just four cases you said this week or? Uh, yeah, one of the days this week, it was four new cases. Four new cases, one of the day. Yeah. So like, I mean, we all aspire to get to those numbers. Um, you know, like, how can how can we kind of like help that situation? I mean, as runners, um, I know, like you just said, Craig, I mean, it's important for us to get outside, do things, you know, we obviously are, are having a lot of mental health challenges, not just in the running community, but in the community as a whole, um, throughout this entire period, uh, as runners, like, how can we feel like we're doing the right thing when we're out on runs or races or anything like that? Is there any guidance you can kind of give us Andy at this point? Like we've been in this for a year now. What's your, your best like um, guidance that, that you could offer? You know, I, I think if, look, I think it's important for people to get outside and exercise and stay active. And, you know um, you know, I, I've uh, you know, for me personally, you know, I have meetings starting at 6.30 or 7 every morning, see patients. And then, if you know, this is a fun meeting, but I have other meetings that could go until 7 or 8. Um, and, you know, it's critical for me to get outside and get some fresh air when I can. Um, you know, and, and what really what I'm telling people is, you know, get, you know, if you're in an area where you're around other people and you're outside, wear a mask. Um, you know, once you're by yourself, it's not as critical. Um, and then, you know, really the big, a lot of, a lot of the risk is being indoors and it's, you know, it's, it's, um, as I, as I've told people, I mean, this, the part of running that's really fun is going out for a run and then going off to the bar and having a beer and a burger to, to celebrate. And that's actually the part where you're probably at your highest risk of getting COVID right now. So, 
Um, you know, I, I do think getting outside, being with your friends outside, exercising, uh, all good stuff. Uh, and then, you know, just being ca really careful indoors. Mm. Excellent. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like as maybe a lot of us on this call or, or watching on Facebook, I mean, we're, we're living in California, so we're lucky enough to be able to get outside without it being, you know, minus 20 <laughs> during the winter time, which is great. Um, I always think back to my, you know, my, uh, when I lived in New Hampshire, I'd definitely, you know, I talked to my dad and, you know, it's like a minus 15 wind chill today. So he's going to skip his walk. So, you know, we, we do have that luxury out here, which is nice. I have a question for you, Andy, about, about masks when we're running or we're hiking versus a buff. And people often, there's been reports that buffs are as good as nothing. What is the story? And what kind of mask, what should we be wearing when we're exercising or hiking or running? Um, I, I think, you know, there was that story that came out that like buffs were worse than masks. And I think some of that um, is not as, some of that's been debunked a little bit. I, I do think if you don't have anything, wearing a buff is, it's better than nothing. Um, you know, obviously if you can get a more, you know, the thicker the mask, the more layers, um, that's going to be a better mask to wear. So, and again, a lot of times, like uh, when I go cross country skiing now, you know, to me, the big issue is still distance. I mean, so uh, for example, when I go out on the weekends, cross country skiing, you know, what I tend to do is I'll, I'll actually double up my buff, but I'm also, also making sure that I'm, you know, staying 10 feet away from everybody else. So, you know, as I tell people, distance is still much more important in my mind uh, masking is helpful when you're close to people. Um, but distance to me is still the, the most critical thing. So, you know, if, if you, if now, if, yeah, if you're at a trailhead and you're jammed in with 40 other people, that's where wearing a thicker mask is going to be a good idea. How about, how about crossing paths? You know, cause I, I worry, you know, when I pass somebody and they're breathing, they're, they're breathing heavy. And I'm like, well, how long should I wear the mask after I pass them? Those are silly questions, but runners were all thinking about those kinds of kind of things. How, how far beyond the last person should I keep it on or always keep it on? At least 120 yards. No, um, I'm just thinking. <laughs> uh, no, um, no, I, I think, <laughs> you know, again, what I try to do is I try to, you know, if I'm going to be out there, I try to give people some distance. Um, and then, you know, if you look at what is really a risk factor for being, for getting COVID, it's being inside in a room with someone for 10 to 15 minutes with known COVID. So, you know, the, even if there is someone, you know, first off, if someone's out there exercising with COVID, I mean, I guess they could be asymptomatic, but um, you know, it, it, I think the likelihood of someone getting COVID from, yeah, you, you pass for two seconds on the trail and they exhale. Um, I, I think that's pretty low. That's why I would still wear a mask you know, just to even reduce that a little bit more or, or give people a little distance on the trail. Excellent. Yeah, that's good to hear. Um, you know, cause I mean, obviously we do all want to get out there as much as we can and, uh, yeah, hopefully do it safely. So that's all good guidance. We appreciate that. Uh, one thing I wanted to touch on, um, that was kind of leaked the last episode. Um, I think there was a little bit of like, Josh and back and forth between uh, Craig and Tim about this was there was some talk about some other event, maybe. Is there any update on this thing? Tim, is that something you want to take? <laughs> well, I don't know. I have to ask the boss whether we can talk about it or not. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, I'll, I'll take it, Tim. How's okay. It? Um, yeah, it's looking good. Okay. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a hundred and something. Okay. If, if you guys remember Finvey ran the first, uh, where's Waldo? I didn't measure very well. And Waldo was 65 miles. Where's Waldo was 65 miles for quite a few years. Probably going to be in that range, 64, 65 miles, which really it doesn't matter. All the European races all over the world, there are such odd distances. We're, we're hung up on it. it has to be exactly such and such. Um, it's going to be an incredible course using some of the Western states and some of uh, some new trails that um, you've been on, Greg and Mike. Okay, a lot of people have been on. Oh boy, uh, it requires some some trail work. Uh, we got two summers to do it. It's gonna the first year is going to be 2022. We're going to be past all the COVID stuff. Uh, probably September, the weekend before opening day of 
deer hunting season. Uh, <clears throat> and yeah, it's going to be uh, going to be a spectacular course. Oh uh, man! We're still working on the details. Uh, several meetings with Forest Service. We're all good. It's all it's a hundred percent on. Well, it's not on state land. It's all on Forest Service land and and the, some private land, but no state land. Okay, which makes it a little bit easier for us, permitting wise. And it's just going to be a spectacular course. Oh boy! Absolutely. All right, I guess we're all. <laughs> I can see the chat blowing just, up already right now. <laughs> I, I, I can give you a little bit more of a hint there. Just, um, just say that uh, it might include the North Fork of the American River, which we don't have any events in that I know of today. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I was just about to say, like, well, I don't know if you want to throw the Sautalian climb in there or not. <laughs> uh, oh, I don't. That'd be awesome. People <laughs> <laughs> would like Sautalian. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, it's a, it's a trail. It's an actual trail. Yeah. Oh, I'm, if I'm thinking where it might be, uh, sounds really good. So I'm excited to hear more about that and see a course at some point, but, uh, so 2022 September timeframe. Yeah. So definitely something to look forward to for everybody. Yeah. Once we secure the start location and the finish location, uh, then we can, we can launch the website and announce it officially. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, farther along than it was when we spoke last. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks a lot for that update. That's, uh, yeah. that's really exciting. Um, one of the th other things I think we talked about last time um, was perhaps some changes to the lottery. Um, I don't know if Diana, if that's anything that uh, you have an update on. Uh, I think maybe Craig would be better responding. Okay. Um, we have made we, we have done nothing in that in that regard the last since we spoke last. No. Okay, I we've think had we're, other, we've had other things to worry about. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And now we're trying to put on a new race, so a little little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that we may have like briefly touched on like whether or not it could go electronic at some point in the future or something along those lines. But uh, but yeah, obviously you've been pretty busy with lots of other <laughs> topics. <laughs> So we'll, we'll keep that one. Um, but yeah, like hopefully we will get to, you know, the next lottery sometime uh, later this year. So that'll be exciting. Uh, we'll definitely all be looking forward to that. A couple more trail related questions. And the last time we talked about some, um, some alterations possibly up near Big Granite and then some other stuff you were talking about some realignment, anything new like, like the realignment plans? Um, well, we we're trying to get a reroute of Granite Chief uh, that's been proposed. It's it's much higher. If you if you've run to Lion Ridge, you you know how wet that can be, especially in the in the spring. It's called the bogs. Uh, the trail, the realignment will be higher up, and it'll skip all those bogs. Uh, it'll save us about a mile and a half, and it'll come down right into Lion Ridge Aid Station uh, from from the ridge. Uh, we're still looking for funding for that. And the Forest Service um, just reported to us that they applied for another grant for that. Um, we were rejected on on a prior grant. Probably the last time we spoke, we were we had applied for a grant. The foundation did, and we we got uh, rejected. Um, other than that, there's a possibility. I just got good news from the Forest Service that we've been we've been trying to get this. Pucker Point extension. When when Pucker Point was built uh, by one of Wendell Roby's crews, um, he followed that little flume trail past uh, what is it, Startown, Tim? And then yeah. Uh, yeah, and then as you're as you're cruising around, you're coming back, and suddenly you you leave, you cross that creek, and you you go back onto the road. It's like, what the hell happened? The trail, it was this beautiful trail and now we're back onto the road. They just ran out of time and ran out of money and they took the trail back to the road. So the Pucker Point extension will continue through, uh, unfortunately it's some owl habitat, um, which has been preventing us from, from getting this approved. Um, it'll come out in Pacific Slab Mine. Um, and Mary Sullivan just, just gave us good news that, that, that that's, um, made some uh, some progress in in their circles and that'll be an awesome awesome extension um other than that uh i don't think i have any other trail changes um you know there's 
at some point we'll get rid of the elevator shaft um, and, and have switchbacks. That was another weird kind of, um, I learned more about the elevator shaft just, just because of this land issue with Cal street. Oh yeah. The, the top private. Uh, when the trail was being made, they actually didn't, didn't meet up with the two tractors, I guess this one, <laughs> that one, they didn't have GPS back then. So they just, Oh, we better connect these trails and then just straight down that ridge line. Oh. <laughs> and it's a hor- it's horrible. Yeah. And especially if you run 70 something miles and you got to go down that, that steep thing. Oh yeah. Um, oh, there's one. Yeah. Okay. Somebody, Mike Grimm asked about the uh, Parker point and the, and the cows. Um, we did get a report that the trail is actually in good shape right now that the cattle, unfortunately, um, will be there. They have long-term leases to, to graze their cattle. Um, and we've had challenges with the, with the cattle messing up Pucker point trail. Uh, right now it's good. We'll be doing work really close to the race to make sure it's in, in good shape, uh, before the race. Yeah, I can add a little bit on elevator shafts since that's my section of trail. I was talking with John Katz uh, last week now that the state uh, has some resources and they want to do some work in there. We can't do the work until all the paperwork's done, but we're pushing the state to get the appropriate paperwork filed because we know where we want to go there. The trail and the route was pretty well understood. It's just a matter of getting the go-ahead from the state to get in there. It wouldn't take us very long to build that trail. It might not be more than a weekend. Oh, and I do have one more Thanks, Mike. Um, I don't have any notes in front of me. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. Uh, the switchbacks that are above Duncan Canyon Aid Station, which uh, were added in 2016, I think, uh, each each year, well, in 2017, we actually ran the switchbacks. They add eight-tenths of a mile to the course, and we were not happy with those switchbacks. Uh, so each year since then, 18, 19, we have resurrected the old trail which was steep and blocked off the new trail and then after the race we reverse it and we both know the feds and us we know that this is not sustainable uh so we have a we've been working on a proposal uh to compromise with the forest service so we don't have as many switchbacks we don't spend so much time you know going linearly without dropping down without losing elevation um, and hopefully that will be successful and we'll get that implemented here before the race. Forgot about that one. Perfect. Well, it sounds like uh, lots of activity in many different areas. <laughs> really got to hand it to all of you, uh, you know, every day, just chipping away at this thing. Um, you know, I know it's been a long road since last year. Um, and we really, you know, again, like certainly appreciate you coming on here just to like, give everybody the update. I mean, we've got a ton of people on the session and hopefully watching. And, you know, as we post the podcast, all this information will get out to a wider audience and hopefully help, uh, you know, just make people aware of what's, what's been going on and what you're having to do every day uh, as we work towards June. Um, I guess at this point, uh, I think we've got a good number of questions from the audience. So I'd love to switch over to Jessica and see what everybody's uh, interested in. Hey, hey, so my questions are kind of all over the place in a good way. So I've taken them throughout the whole conversation. So, all right. This is about qualifiers. Jeremy on Zoom asked, now that at least one qualifier race has happened in 2021, will others be required to compete to complete a qualifier to maintain their status of continuous years of qualifying? Similarly, if someone qualifies this year and Western States doesn't happen, Will it carry through to the next lottery, whether, whenever that is? Um, I'll take that one. Cool. Um, <laughs> so after the cancellation last year, we opened up the qualifying period for the 2022 lottery, which happens in December of 21. Um, we opened it up to a two-year window. So we're on the second window. So far, no races except Mass and Mountain, I think, maybe the only one. No races have been canceled two years in a row. So, so far, we basically have extra races because races like Bandera happen both years. So there, there's more qualifying races in this two-year window. If we canceled again, if, if numbers go crazy and all these races get canceled, then we'll probably re-examine qualifiers 
which would be for the 2023 lottery. Oh my God. I don't even want to think about that, but um, yeah, we would probably do something uh, similar to what we did the cancellation of 2020. Um, and yeah, you just have to one run one qualifier. You don't have to run two. But I think the goal is you, we still want people to carry over. We want them to qualify. And so extending the window does that. Um, and this kind of goes back to this a little bit. Dan in the chat asked, um, so if we did, if international runners weren't allowed to run Western states, would we open the wait list so more U.S. runners could be running this year? Um, yes, we've we've crunched <laughs> these numbers a lot, and this has definitely occupied a lot of my my synapse firings. Um, we have actually got 379 spots for this year's race because we were allowed to have the forest service allowed us to have two more raffles the, the last two raffles we had put us over to, to 379. If we, if we allowed international runners a rollover, it would definitely open up some spots. About 20% of our wait list is also overseas. So assuming they, some number of them didn't want to, want to enter we'd have i think it's 39 u.s uh spot u.s runners on the wait list right now uh if we burn through all of those and we not burn not not in a bad way if we went through the wait list, i know they're people it's not just numbers but um if we ran out of people on the wait list we wouldn't have another lottery but we would probably figure out a way to to, to add more people if if we were allowed to have uh, a full field um, and it would probably come in the, in the form of aid station spots, uh, getting another spot this year, cause they're all local. It would be easy to get another 20 people from, from the aid stations. Um, and then next year they wouldn't have, then the following year they, they wouldn't get a spot that that's one thought. Um, or we just have a year where we don't have 369. If we went through everybody on the wait list, they got in the race and we're still down to, you know, 350 or something. That wouldn't be the end of the world if we had a 350 person race uh, coming off a pandemic. Um, right. So, yeah, all of those have been, uh, yeah, we've been considering all of those possibilities. Yeah. I have a question. Since we didn't run a race last year for Western States, do we, and we're going on an average, right? So does that mean, say we run short this year, would we get more runner? Would they allow us more runners for 20? The problem with that math is really brutal. <laughs> so that zero, if we canceled, the zero is really, really good. <laughs> and apply mm -hmm. the average until the zero drops out. When the zero drops out, your compensation years are, uh, you know, put your mm -hmm. average way over. Uh, so the best thing to do, and we got in that situation with the cancellation in 2008, the best thing to do is to not count the zero year. That, that, that solves, that prevents us from getting into a bad situation five years from now, which could be, um, you know, someone, it could be a different race director that has to deal with that problem. Um, mm -hmm. And I had to deal with that problem from 2008 when 2008 fell fell out of rolling average, we suddenly had a really high average. It's not good. So it should just be out. The zero yeah. just not count. All right, I guess. I know. <laughs> um, and then for anyone who's not familiar, what's going on with um, the training weekend, running weekend? Well, we're optimistic we're going to be able to to, to to conduct that. That's a lot easier. We can have waves. We could have twice as many buses. Um, I, I think that's going to, as long as the state continues to improve, um, I, I think that's much easier for us to put on in the race. Cool. And then I think that <laughs> we have very excited people in the Zoom. Um, and then last question for me, at least, is, so say we get to race day and someone gets a positive COVID test, would they get a rollover the next year if they couldn't run it? Andy? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> this is why I want to be really careful about doing COVID testing before the race. So 
Um, that's one of the things that, yeah, we would want to look into and might, yeah, I mean, my guess is I, I would talk to Craig and the board about doing some, but that, that is part of the reason why I would want to be really, really careful. Uh, because again, the, 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 you know, we want, if you're going to do testing, you want to pick up COVID, but, um, yeah, with, with people training that much to tell them that they have a positive test, one or two days before the race would be uh, obviously devastating for them. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for answering that. I know that's a tough one. All these questions are like, we don't know yet. Here's our plan. But I mean, just like last year, we don't really know what's going on. It seems like you guys have thought about every single option possible and you must be exhausted. All right. I think I don't have any more questions. Greg, Mike? Yeah, I guess uh, the only thing I just wanted to ask was, um, did any of the four of you have any like parting thoughts? Um, I don't know, just what you sort of have been thinking about how the next few months are going to go, or is it just completely every day is random? <laughs> just just interested to sort of hear how, how you're feeling and, and know what you think it's going to be like uh, from between now and June. Diana? Um, I can start. I mean, I, I guess um, it's definitely been challenging. And one thing that we've, um, that I've tried to focus on is um, as we were leading into like, you know, going into December and January when the numbers were really going, getting worse. Um, and, you know, we had a board meeting coming up and we actually just made a decision that it wasn't a time to make decisions you know, that, that it was such a dark, going into such a dark period. And there were so many unknowns ahead that instead of um, even planning for worst case, it just didn't make sense. So now we're in a very different place. You know, things are, feel like we're turning a corner. There's, you know, maybe a light at the end of this tunnel. I mean, there are some unknowns still out there with new variants and other unknowns and risks. Um, but uh, now it feels like it's the time to start really making, you know, plans and contingency plans and a timeline for decision making um, so that we are ready, you know, that we're not just reacting to things as we get closer to race day, but that we are really proactively thinking about all these different options that people have raised and that we've talked about. Um, and that if, you know, say with the international runners, um, you know, at some point that that is a, that's definitely a possibility that we'll have to treat them differently. Um, and we can kind of start now thinking about that and when we would make that decision. Um, so I don't know, that's, that's where we are now that it's time to start really making plans and thinking because um, we are in a better place and we're getting closer to race day. Perfect. Do you want to tack onto that, Tim, at all? Yeah, I was just going to give you guys some real numbers for those people that don't live in Placer County. You know, this county runs the whole courses in Placer County. It runs from Roseville, which is about 20 miles west of the finish line to the west shore of Lake Tahoe. There's about 400,000 people here. And for two days in a row, we've been in the low 30s for cases of COVID. And the worst day we had was a little more than a month ago when we had 329 cases. So that gives you an idea of some positivity. And just to add to that, I went in and got my first vaccine shot today. And they were doing 1,000 shots a day for the last week. So, I mean, they're really going in Placer County. It's going good. I know I took my parents two weeks ago to the fairgrounds and they got theirs. They're 90 and 89. So the vaccines are rolling out pretty faster now. They tipped up a couple of big time, you know, clinics where they can do, yeah, about a thousand people a day. So it's looking really good. I mean, things are headed in the right direction. So we're, uh, we're expecting to be able to have to put on a racer, which is a good problem to have. Perfect. Yeah. And we'll be leveraging off of several other race directors in, in, the, in the area here. Um, NorCal ultras and, and single track running, they'll be putting on races before we do in, in the canyons. Um, so watch those races, watch what happens. And I think that'll be a, a, a canary in the, in the coal mine, so to speak. Um, if those races turn out fine and they're not super spreader events, which we don't think they will be, um, then yeah, it's, it's gonna, 
it's going to give us an indication of whether we can do the same thing. Great. Andy, anything uh, that you want to add? Just, to that? Yeah. If, if you can get vaccinated, um, you know, when it's your turn, uh, yeah, when it's your turn, get vaccinated. Like I said, I, I do think people should keep abreast. Like I said, there's going to be two or three new vaccines hopefully coming on here in the next couple of weeks, which I actually think it may shake up um, some of the uh, strategies for who gets vaccinated first. So just, um, yeah, keep talking with your local physicians. And if you can get, get your vaccine, get your vaccine, and that's going to help. All right. Well, that uh, seems like a great way to end uh, end this episode. We'd all love to encourage everyone to do that. Um, definitely a lot of resources out there I see on websites. I mean, you can text, you can send text messages and get updates through text when, uh, you know, your round is, is up for vaccination. I mean, there's all kinds of resources out there. So please uh, go out and check your county, have a look at their website and see what uh, you can do to stay abreast of everything. Well, thank you all uh, for joining us this week. Uh, Andy, Craig, Diana, Tim, we really appreciate your time. I know everybody on the call um, does as well. Uh, we, we, you know, we just love um, the engagement that you've all shown to us um, and we love getting your message out. So we really appreciate it and thanks again. Uh, thank you all for joining us for another episode of the Mile 99 interview. Uh, as usual, this will be posted as a podcast episode on our feed by Friday at 6 p.m. So look for that in your favorite uh, podcast app. And uh, if you can, uh, jump over to our website, themile99interview.com and uh, check us out. We got plenty of episodes there, back episodes. Uh, if you want to leave us a review, we love that. We can also You can also find us on our Facebook page, The Mile 99 Interview, and the Instagram uh, feed as well, where we love to post little uh, uh, posts, you know, every week and just let you know what we're up to. So go there, The Mile 99 Interview. Uh, we will be having another episode live in two weeks. Uh, look for that announcement coming up soon, and I'm sure we'll stay engaged in the meantime. So Thanks a lot, everybody. We really appreciate your time and we'll see you on the trail. Take care. Bye-bye.